Hi, how are you doing? Welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. My name is Adam and I am a Geeky Retro Nerd. And the show, as always, is sponsored by those lovely folks at truffleshuffle.com. Head on over to their website where you will see lots of geeky t-shirts and retro gifts. And if you use my exclusive discount code GRNS15, that's GRNS15, you will get a 15% discount on a spend of £25 or more. And there's international shipping, so everybody can get involved no matter where you are. Everyone's a winner. On this special episode, I have a really interesting chat with the author of the brand new Stranger Things novel. And it's the second official novel from the Stranger Things universe. It's called Darkness on the Edge of Town, and it's written by Adam Christopher. And here's our chat. Uh, Hi, Adam Christopher. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Welcome. Welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. I've been looking forward to this chat since um, we arranged it the other day. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you are on the show to talk about your new book. Yes, yeah, this which is true. Is, yeah, which is Stranger <laughs> Things, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. But before we start talking about the book, uh, what, what's the last week been like for you? Good. Um, Busy. <laughs> yeah, because the book came out, when we're recording this, it's, uh, what, 3rd of June. The book came out 28th of May, um, yeah. and it's always, it's like publication week is always very exciting, um, because you have a book out, and books are exciting. Um, and nervous, and then, I imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, I've had quite a few books out by now, so I kind of have been through the roller coaster, as it were. Yeah. Um, but like it's really cool, and I was, I was, yeah, I was quite good. They keep me busy with bits and pieces that you always have to do around releases. Um, and it's kind of this is weird because now it's sort of a week or more afterwards, so everything is slowly sort of getting back to normal. Yeah, because because I know you've been like you say you've been really busy, and I know you've been on a few podcasts, and I listened to you on um, Simon Mayo oh, the yes, other right. day, yeah, which was really good. So <laughs> mega mega busy. So I'm glad you've got time. Oh, to uh, to talk to me. That's brilliant. No, well, thank you very much for having me on, definitely. Um, so, so Stranger Things, Darkness on the Edge of Town. What can Stranger Things fans expect from this book, Adam? Well, um, they can expect to learn a lot about Jim Hopper, uh, who is obviously the chief of police in Hawkins, which is where you know mm-hmm. Stranger Things, the TV series, uh, takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, in the TV show, we get a few glimpses and mentions here and there of his past, whether it's Vietnam or his his family, kind of etc. So, Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is set in 1977, so about six or seven years before Stranger Things, the TV show, mm-hmm. um, focuses on. Well, it's Jim Hopper's story of when he was a homicide detective in New York City in 1977. Um, this strange case that he tells. Well, actually, he tells Eleven about the case yeah. in, in uh, the present day, which is actually 1984. So that's the kind of framing device. And then he tells her the story that, you know, she discovered this box that's marked New York 
which we see in season two, and it's underneath the floorboards of the cabin in the yeah. woods, yeah. and they're snowed in, and she's completely bored out of her mind and asks her her new legally adoptive father, <laughs> because that's kind of sorted at the end of season two. It is. Um, yeah, and he goes, okay, I'll tell you about this story. And it's like, yeah, because 1977 in New York was, was crazy um, in general without it being a Stranger Things kind of thing. Yeah, so um, it's not the New York that we know today, was it, well, 1977? No, New York in the 1970s was in a pretty bad place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was crime wave. The city was just about bankrupt. Uh, the infrastructure was crumbling. Um and in the middle of this, Jim Hopper and his young wife and daughter Sarah decide to make a new life in in the middle of this in New York mm-hmm. with him as a cop. Um, which goes back to your question about what we're going to learn. It's like that part of Hopper's life. It's a, well before his daughter Sarah died. So mm-hmm. she dies in about 1970. Well, actually, late 77, I guess 78. Yeah, and uh, we learn that in season one, don't we? Yeah, and like when we see Hopper in season one, you know, especially at the beginning, he's a total wreck. You know, yeah. uh, just you know, he's he's come back to Hawkins, which is his hometown, uh-huh. at some point, and he's been the chief of police there for about six years, but things are not going well, and. You know, he kind of manages to turn that around. Before his daughter died, um, he kind of divided his life into two halves. So there's before Vietnam and there was after Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, when Sarah died, then obviously it was, you know, he kind of did it again. There was before Sarah and after Sarah. So this is really the first time we've seen or we get to see Hopper in that earlier phase of his life. Sort of, it's, it's after Vietnam. Yeah. So the book kind of explores the impact that Vietnam had on him. Right. And it was a major impact. And we see that in, in the TV show. He kind of mentioned yeah. it here and there. Yeah. Um, and really that was part of his reason for relocating to New York mm-hmm. uh, in 1977, which is probably the worst year you could pick. <laughs> um, because he needed, you know, he needed to do something. Vietnam was such an, such a important experience that changed him. Mm-hmm. as it changed lots of people um, and he knows that if he doesn't do something something constructive, productive that he can help people uh, you know, he's not going to make it through and you know, he's seen people who have gone through Vietnam and who haven't made it and he's, yeah, so he's aware of this, he's like well I'm, I need to do something so New York it was yeah and so it's a, it's a prequel told in flashback Form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the yeah the the framing device is you know Hopper telling Eleven the story, which is like it's only it's in bits and pieces, but the but yeah the book is really that kind of flashback stroke prequel. Yeah, and 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 I often think to myself on on these kind of books, Adam, um, how much um, creative freedom do you get? when you get the opportunity to write this kind of novel, do you have any restrictions? Does somebody tell you what you have to put in or what you can't put in? Or or did you have total free reign on this book? I kind of had, I had total free reign um, in a way. The thing with, with licensed books or sort of tie in fiction, as they're called, Mm -hmm. is obviously you're working with someone else's characters and someone else's universe. And usually, you know, there are requirements 
that are quite obvious. You know, it has to be set in the universe. It has to feel like it's part of that universe. You can't do, you know, you can't kill people. You know, you can't kill main characters. You yeah. Can't, you can't change things um, mm. sort of irreversibly. Um, what they wanted for Stranger Things was it was going to be a Hopper prequel novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to be set in New York. Uh, and so is this what to, you're told? Are you told yeah. this? Yeah. Yep. That was, yeah. And he was going to be chasing a serial killer. All right. So those were basically the three things. But apart from that, it was just come up with a story. Um, and I think that's, you know, having done previous tie-in stuff, I did two books for a show called Elementary, mm-hmm. which is a kind of modern-day Sherlock Holmes. Yes. You know, set in New York. Uh, and I did some, I did a trilogy of books for Dishonored, which is a video game series. Yeah. yeah. So I was kind of, I had that experience behind me. Um, and they knew that, although I write science fiction and fantasy mainly, um, I do have that kind of a mystery, crime, thriller yeah. sort of thing that I mm-hmm. put into books. And, you know, Hopper being the chief of police in Hawkins. Um, they felt that I was a good choice. So you were an ideal candidate. Yeah, which is <laughs> great it. because yeah, like Hop is my favourite character in Stranger Things. He's, and, he's a he's a really interesting character, isn't he? Well, yeah, he's got so much depth. Um, and, you know, that's the writing and also David Harbour's performance. Oh, you know, great, as he? Hopper, great. he injects something into the character, and it's this thing. It's like you can't. It's not something necessarily you can see on the screen. It's something there in the performance that yeah. gives this kind of real richness, um, which is why I thought, you know, they want me to do a Hopper book. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you hit the jackpot then getting to do Stranger Things and writing about your favourite character. Yeah, exactly. Like a dream come true, yeah. So how, how do you how do you find yourself in, in a position to be able to do this? Do they contact you or did you do you contact them or Yeah. Um it's actually a question that people who want to be writers often ask. It's like how do you write for Stranger Things or Elementary or whatever, you know? Um and they're sort of it's well, it's not an unfortunate fact but it's a fact <laughs> that you kind huh. of have to be established as a writer before they yeah. ask you. Yeah. But if you think about it, that's actually quite logical because um, you need to have a track record of being able to write novel-length fiction to a deadline. That not I'm not saying that you need to have a big following or fan base or anything, yeah. but got to be able to do it and you've got to be able to show that you can do it Um, with tie-in fiction of all kinds and it's like a common feature of it the deadlines are very very tight because if you can imagine there are so many layers of people that need to look and read and approve and make comments and all this at so many levels of the of the process, not just in the publisher, but also like whoever owns the property. So, you know, for Stranger Things, it's obviously Netflix. Um, For Elementary, it was CBS. Um, And because of all that, the timelines are just super, super tight because you have to get the book done and then all these people have got to look at it. So they really look for writers who are established. Um, And, and, And also, I imagine, aware of the subject matter 
as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, fa- well, a fan of the show. A fan of the show, yeah. Like I'm a f- I am a big fan of Stranger Things, and I was from the beginning. Um, and certainly that gives you a lot of, um, not shortcuts, but a lot of, you know, your, your toolbox as a writer is bigger than it would be because you've immediately got the knowledge and the in-depth knowledge um, of a property. Like, I don't think it's absolutely essential that you be a fan of a property to to write for it Um, because obviously, you know, if you're a a publisher or a property owner who's looking for tie-in fiction, trying to search for, for genuine fans of something, like, that could be quite an effort. Yeah, and I, and I and imagine with things something like Stranger Things that 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 pool of people who are um, fans and knowledgeable of the series would would have been quite big due to its popularity. Yeah, so you've done well. Yeah. You've done really yeah. well getting to <laughs> getting to do this. <laughs> Thank you. Um. So so you say you were a fan from the beginning yeah. of um, Stranger Things. Obviously, it, it come out on uh, Netflix a few years ago. Yes. Did did you did you watch it when it, as soon as it came out? Were you yeah. aware that this was coming out and you watched it straight away? Well, yeah, I remember when the first trailer for season one came on Netflix, and this is like two thousand and I don't know, fifteen or something. Th- yeah, two thousand fifteen. Yeah. yeah. This, this the trailer came up with absolutely no fanfare or anything. And I watched it and I thought this is like exactly my kind of thing. And I jumped online and like nobody was men- had, had mentioned it, nobody was talking about it. So I was kind of like, well, fingers crossed, it's going to be good because it looks great. Yeah. Um, and then little did anybody know it it would turn into sort of this phenomenon. I mean, it's probably Netflix's biggest TV show. Oh, it's uh, got to be. You know, it's such a huge success. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little ashamed to admit that I slept on it a little while. Right. I I didn't know about it mm. um, well, so until it came, until yeah. a little while after it came out. So, like you say, you know, there was no fanfare. There was no sort of here's this television show. You're gonna love it. Um, it just sort of come out, and they were relying on people on watching it and word of mouth or whatever. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my my pal texted me. And he said, what did you think of Stranger Things? I mean, the, I mean, I didn't sleep on it like for a year or anything like that. It was like a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my friend texted us and said, what did you think of Stranger Things? And I said, what's Stranger Things? <laughs> I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. And he says, I can't believe you haven't seen it. It was written for you. Right. He says, you, would, you will love it. So um, I put it on and I watched the first couple of episodes by myself. Yeah. Because um, I thought, oh, my wife will not. She doesn't really like the things I like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I thought I'll, I'll watch it by myself. And I watched the first couple of episodes and I was like, wow. Because I love movies like E.T., The Goonies. Yeah, yeah. I think I think with Stranger Things, there's a bit of John Carpenter in there as yes. well. Things like The Definitely. Thing and things like that. Yeah. And I was watching and, and it got to the episode where um, they uh, the were getting chased um, by the vans, you know, when they were on their oh, bikes, yeah. and it was it was very yeah. et, yeah. and eleven makes the van flip over the top, flip over yeah. the air, and I was like, <laughs> right, my wife will like this, so I I, I started it again when my wife, yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah. watched it all again. Okay, <laughs> but, but, I, but I, it it just blew me away, and it's definitely one of my most favourite um, TV shows 
from the last um, from the last few few oh, years for sure. Yeah, no, same here. Yeah. And I suppose as well, one of the difficulties you've got as well when you're when you're writing your book, you know, we spoke before about some of the restrictions you've got, and you're told right, it's about Hopper, it's in New York, 1977, it's a serial killer, uh, and you said before you can't kill people off, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, things like that. But the, the the thing with Stranger Things as well is is that it's not finished. It's it's still going. Yeah, we've yeah. still got another series to come. So, um, you know, I, I suppose it's it, it feels like um, not safe, but if it's set a little bit away, yeah. it won't it won't impact on um, the the events of season three. Did they tell you what happens in season three? Uh, no, not at all. No, no, completely kept that a secret. Um, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the book, the bits where you've got Hopper and Eleven together, which is the Christmas 1984 kind of framework, um, that is actually the first time that we see them in their kind of new dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the events of season two have gone. And as far as they're aware, life is sort of drifting towards normality. Yeah. You know, whatever you'd call normal for hopper at 11 um you know and she's growing up and obviously she's different but she's becoming a teenager and um is kind of changing and for hopper also this is the first time that he's raised you know a teenage girl because sarah had died when she was about seven years old so like that will link into season three yeah because season three which is set you know a few months down the track Mm-hmm. Um, is obviously going to have built on that kind of those early beginnings. I mean, really, you know, Christmas 1984 is really close to the end of season two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so hopefully, fingers crossed, it all kind of links up. But they wouldn't tell me anything. Oh. Uh, but having said that, and this is what I've experienced with other tie-in stuff, it's like if you were if you were doing something which was going against what was coming even mm-hmm. if they haven't told you mm-hmm. they would be very quick to say no do something else do this do that. like without <laughs> yeah. actually telling you what you're doing yeah they'd say no so that being said they didn't say anything so <laughs> assuming yeah. it all and as all well good. and as well i presume you wouldn't want it spoiled for you for season three. Oh no well that's right yeah um the um the the trailer came out for season three um a little while ago didn't it a good a good couple, uh, two or yes. two or three months ago what did what did you think of that oh look it, it looks really good um it's kind of it's heading towards the era sort of 1995 which is where I have my strongest memories you know as a child of the 80s yeah um and it just looks really good and I'm looking forward to it. So, so speaking about your memories as a child, um, I think you're a couple of years older than me, I think. Um, I was born in 1980. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're of a similar age. And I was I was wondering what it was like for you, because I, I know you were born in New Zealand. Yes, that's right. And you, and you grew up in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, what, what was that like for you? Um, Because I'm interested, because I I imagine it was somewhat different to me growing up in the northeast of England. Yeah, it was. It's a kind of, it's a mix of what you've, or your experiences were, I think, and something else. Um, 
New Zealand is sort of, well, at the time, it was sort of very influenced, obviously, by the UK, but also from the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so TV was very, in the 80s, was very strongly US-based. Was it? Um, so so Knight you, Rider, A-Team. Yeah, oh, yeah, Knight Rider, A-Team, um, Auto Man, uh, Benson. I remember things like Benson because it was on, which is a sitcom about a butler to a governor. Right. It was on right before Doctor Who. All right. <laughs> like, it was Friday afternoons at 4.30 was Benson and then Doctor Who followed. Um, but things like Doctor Who and Blake Seven and other other things. I grew up in the 80s, but Doctor Who on TV was actually John Pertwee because the TV was sort of 10 years behind. It was a little because bit Because that's how it was, yeah. So I grew up watching John Pertwee. Um, as my doctor, even though I'm like the wrong generation for that. So while you were watching John Pertwee and Doctor Who, I was watching John Pertwee and Wurzel Gummidge. Right. Well, actually, <laughs> Wurzel Gummidge was big in New Zealand because he one was of the it? series was filmed in New Zealand. What? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So that was actually quite big news. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I forgot all about that. But then also we got things, you know, um, obviously – Big movies like Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, E.T. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you name it, we kind of had it. And I was a big fan of that kind of stuff. And also, you know, Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask, oh, yeah. He-Man. Um, He-Man, yeah. Those kind of 70s, 80s, well, 80s uh, US cartoons. So it was a real kind of mix of both, I think. Yeah, sounds it. So what, what, what movies, I mean, you mentioned Ghostbusters and things like that. What, what were your big movies? Uh, well, growing up, it was basically Star Wars and Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, I can remember, like Ghostbusters was probably. And this is the other thing about New Zealand is that sometimes the films were like they were they had the same sort of screening year as the original release, but they were sometimes then re-released like a year later or a few months later. Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, I can remember going. I went once with my dad. And I liked it so much, I then went the next week with my mum and then the third time with both of them together. <laughs> um, and because I loved it so much, like that's how much of an impact it had. Um, but I mean, the first the first movie I ever saw was Star Wars, um, A New Hope. And actually I saw that in, and I've worked it out, it's August 1977, which means I was six months old. Um, oh, but like, yeah, you were like straight I, in. Well, and I apologise to anyone who was in the theatre then because taking a six-month-old to the movie is probably not a very good idea. But my dad was such a big star, um, science fiction fan. Uh-huh. I don't think he could have he could resist any longer, and he had to go. <laughs> he had um, to take it. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's kind of weird because obviously I was six months. I didn't remember nothing, but um, for that being my first ever cinematic experience. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. I quite like that. Brilliant. It is cool. <laughs> but I think with Ghostbusters, it, it, I remember watching it when I was a kid, and it felt like an event. It felt, Ghostbusters yeah. felt like an event movie. It really changed the the cinematic landscape, I think, with regards to you know that, that kind of film. They and kind I, of, yeah, they kind of all felt that way for me. In New Zealand at the time, um, school holidays were sort of May, two weeks in May, and you had three weeks in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Christmas holidays, which was actually summertime, obviously, was like this massive kind of eight weeks from beginning oh. of December to end of January. Oh, so hugely different, yeah. Of course. Yeah. 
but I th- I think I mean there were kind of fewer movies being released I think in general but um, for each of those school holidays there was the big event movie so you know you'd look you'd look it up but whenever Ghostbusters came out whenever Back to the Future um, like batteries not included Short Circuit Short Circuit was huge I love Short Circuit yeah but again it would have been the August school holiday movie Short Circuit yeah. you know if it was August um, so they were all these kind of um, events for me growing up and the, is, and these sorry go on no, that, which is which is great I mean to be a I suppose everyone says it because of the era that you grew up in, but like being a child of the eighties, um, that's pretty. I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I totally agree. With you. I say it all the time um, that I feel so lucky to have grown up during that time because it was yeah. absolutely brilliant. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but but now you know the, the the those movies are on again in my house nearly every day because my son who's two he's only oh. two he's he loves ghostbusters i mean he doesn't watch it but he he dances to the song and yeah he, he recognizes that that ghostbusters and he's got some toys that are ghostbusters he loves back of the future yep. um anything to do with back of the future he recognizes the logo he recognizes the movie and everything on the movie is doc he points, he points at everything, says Doc, and I'm like, no, that's Marty. But he's like, no, it's Doc. Um, so, so you know, gone full circle and all. And, and I suppose, in a way, Star Wars are capitalising on that, aren't they? Um, with uh, the the nostalgia factor. Um, yeah. Of, yeah. It, oh, yeah. And it's big books, as I imagine. You know, people of my age taking their kids to see these movies because they know what what you know what we're going to love it. And we're going to take our kids and spend loads of money to see yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah, why not? But speaking of Star Wars, you you've written for Star Wars, haven't you? Uh, yes, I did a story in the 40th anniversary anthology uh, a couple of years ago, which is called "From a Certain Point of View," um, which is where they got I think it's about 40, just over 40 creators to do 40 stories. Yeah, sort of based on or based around scenes from um episode four uh, and, and yours was called end of watch yes and, and it's um yeah <laughs> I, I loved it i thought it was brilliant oh, when i yeah. when i was i started reading it and i was thinking to myself right where's where's this going and then you know the more i was reading i was thinking oh nice um because so what 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 is it about adam end of so, watch What's right it it's um it's about the the banality of evil and the boredom of being just the rank and file in the kind of Imperial Navy. Mm. Um, but also it's the other side of the conversation that Han has when he calls from the um, the cell block to say there's been a blaster malfunction. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite scenes in the movie. And I just thought, what's the other side? You know, what's the other? What's happening in the other end? There's a control room somewhere in the Death Star where an alarm's gone off. No one has any idea what's going on. I mean, the Death yeah. Star is enormous. It's the biggest, you know, hundred kilometers across. Um, so yeah, so I just thought, well, what, what's the other side of the conversation? Um, <laughs> that was it, really. Oh, that's brilliant. And and again, do they? I mean, how how much creative free reign did you get with that one? Um, I got to choose the scene. That was really it. Did you? 
yeah, I mean, there's, the, only, the, so, there's only so many scenes in the movie. <laughs> yeah, aye, yeah. So did so they did they have like a list and you say right, I'll have that one. Um, yes, I think so. Yeah, I think I'd thought of that first, but it was also on the list. So kind of like my great minds think alike. Brilliant. No, I, 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 I really enjoyed that. It was excellent. And the whole book itself was... Uh, oh, excellent. yeah, it's great. It's so good. It's one of my favourite Star Wars books. It was excellent. Really, really good book. Uh, that was a... So when was that? That was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? It was October 2017, I think. yeah. 40 yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. Time's flying in. Where's yeah, the time going? It's nearly 40 years of Empire next year. Uh, yeah, gosh. Yeah, and it's my 40th birthday next year as well, so... I've already passed that, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Where's the time going? Um, So, uh, yeah, book, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Uh, It's only the second book, uh, the second official novel, isn't it? The the first one was Suspicious Minds by Gwenda, Gwenda Bond, uh, which I enjoyed as well. Um, And like you said at the start, your book's already out. So where where can we buy it here in the UK? So in the UK, it should be pretty much everywhere. Um, you know, Waterstones, WH Smith, Amazon. You can try Hive, which is the sort of network of independent bookstores. Um, yeah, pretty much. They say, you know, everywhere where books are sold. I think it's actually true in this case. Um, <laughs> so but, easy to get a hold of. I, had a, yep. I, had a, I took the liberty of looking earlier on at some of the reviews oh, on oh. Um, good reads and <laughs> oh don't tell me no no thumbs up oh thumbs up good. so far good this is so torture you... for authors no this is complete blank Never, well i was ever. i was thinking at the start before i did the do i mention uh reviews or not because i didn't want to <laughs> i thought it might make you nervous or whatever but it's that that good reviews Good reviews. Good. Thank you. See, the thing about reviews is that they're for readers. They're not for the writer. Now, obviously... This is it, isn't with, it? But with social media and all this kind of stuff, obviously good reviews are useful, not just to the writer, but also to the publisher, because it's good to spread kind of word of mouth and, and yeah. you know positive comments about a book. Yeah. Um, not just to, to sell books, but because if people are enjoying something, if I've written something that people are enjoying... Mm-hmm. That's great. That's my job is done. I've entertained yeah. and informed, you know, uh, which is great. So reviews have their use, but they're not for writers. And I think Goodreads is like you need if you're a writer, you need to kind of block it somehow because so you don't look. It's just you. You. It's just madness. Do not yeah. go to Goodreads. Well, <laughs> but like when I started out, um, and I've been doing. This, my first book came out in like 2012, I think. Right. Um, you know, a bad review would kill me. It was like a right. knife in my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, well, I mean, it would be. This is like your first experience of this kind of thing. Yeah. And then over time, I've kind of grown immune to that because that's just part of the job. Good reviews, bad reviews, and different reviews, um, you know. You can't please everybody, and also you're not trying to please everybody. If you yeah. can, re- if you can reach the people who will enjoy it, and they can actually find it and read it, then oh, that's great. You've, you've you've done your job. Um, so now, like reviews don't bother me at all. Um, 
and especially when people tweet you bad reviews, that's like the that's. Oh, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that on Twitter. They'll complain about something and and tag in it. You're like, what are you doing? It's just bad. Why? Why are you doing that? Somebody did that the other day. uh, The problem Um, is, like, even though people do it to me, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, it doesn't bother me. But remembering where I was, where I was, five, one or more, seven years ago. You know, that was really, it was really bad. <laughs> it's like, it really affected me, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Somebody did it the other day with Gary Witter, oh, complaining about Rogue One. Really? And uh, they tagged him in it, and it just it, right. it blew up. It absolutely but, blew up. But what's the point? Yeah. It's just like, like, if you didn't like a book, that's fine. If you loved the book, that's also fine. You know, there are many books for many readers. Exactly, and that, and they're not like you say. You can't please all the people all the time. But and, having uh, said that, I'm glad that I'm glad that you found some good reviews. <laughs> no, no, they're they're all they're all really positive on there. They're really good. I just I, I was just out of curiosity, um, because I've got the book. I've got it. I've got it on yeah, um, right. e e oh, okay. I've downloaded it from uh, Google Books um, on my iPad. But I haven't read it yet. Because uh, with a with a two year old oh, son, <laughs> um, time time is at a premium. But I've got it. But I want I want the um, the hardback version as well. I think you put something on Twitter the other day where there's a version with a poster. Is that right? Uh, yes. So um, this is the Barnes and Noble exclusive edition. All right. Um, there is a double-sided pull-out poster. One side is the cover art, and the other is this amazing um, this is a piece of art. It's 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 a poster of Hopper and his police car in a kind of ruined New York. Um, I, I I can't say who the artist is because I actually don't know, and I need to oh, look right. it up. That was the next question. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is embarrassing for me. I really should know this kind of thing. But if you can get a copy, that is like, that is primo. Um, and it's the Barnes & Noble exclusive hardcover. But, I mean, Barnes & Noble, which is a big US sort of chain, like Waterstones for UK, but, you know, you can order from them if you're really desperate for that copy. Um, you know, otherwise it's available hardcover here uh, as well. Definitely get it. Yeah, definitely want the hardback because the, the cover is really, um, really, good. really nice. It's really good. Excellent work by the artist, whoever, now, whoever that, they may That I can be. tell you, that is... All right, sorry. Rich Davis and oh. uh, Rich Davies, and he is—he's actually Welsh. He's based in Wales. Is he? Uh, yeah, which is really cool. So um, he does a lot of that kind of cinematic, um, sort of TV and movie poster kind of artwork. Um, yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, "This is fantastic." It's really nice, and because I, I didn't—I didn't know that this book was coming out until um, a few months ago when you tweeted something about it. Right. I was like, okay. "Oh, I didn't—I didn't know about this." And, yeah. and the, the first thing I saw was the cover. Yeah, I was like, "Wow!" And this is actually a good thing with with um, tie-in books because um, with with an original fiction, so not tie-ins like your own work, often the there may be an announcement or it's at least public knowledge when you sign the book deal 
because there'll be a notice in this thing called Publishers Marketplace, which is like an industry thing which just lists all the deals and things. And sometimes the publisher will make a big fuss about it and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool, but then that's also can be a year before the book actually comes out. Right. So you've got nothing except, you know, just the news that you've, you've signed a book deal. Maybe there's yeah. a little brief blurb. With tie-in fiction, usually, although not always, um, by the time it's announced, you know, the book is done, the cover is done, everything's done. Yeah. So you can kind of you can kind of put it all out there at once. So um, you know, I kinda of had to keep the secret mm-hmm. for about a year. All right. And I'd written it and that's the thing, it's like I'd written it I wrote it last year sometime. Um ah. so by the time it's actually announced, like it's all done and dusted but it means you can do things like show the cover immediately show you know all this kind of stuff yeah extra things which is really cool it all comes together yeah yeah bang so so if you were writing if you wrote that last year um what have you been doing since um so well i've got a short story coming up um for a it's actually for a comic so there's a comic there's a comic called lazarus which is a creator-owned uh, comic by Greg Rucker and Michael Lark from Image Comics. Right. Uh, it's a kind of post... Well, it's not really post-apocalyptic. It's certainly a sort of future dystopia. Um, and this has been running for several years, and they've, they've changed the format to a quarterly format rather right. than a monthly comic. Right. And quarterly means they can have more pages. So as well as having a longer comic uh, part story... They have room for fiction. So um, issue two, which is Lazarus Risen uh, 2, which will be out next month in July, uh, it's got a short story from me set in the world of Lazarus, which is great because Excellent. like Greg's Greg's a friend of mine, but also I'm a huge fan of his work. You know, He's written Batman and, well, he's written just about every single ah, major cool. comic property you can think of. Um, and Lazarus is one of my favourite comics. Um, again, I've read it from the beginning about 2000 and 14 or something um so to get the invite to write a story is like is another kind of dream very um, cool so yeah. when's that out when's that coming that is july um i can actually i can check it's july or something i keep forgetting we're in june already where's where's, where's the year gone yeah. So that's out in July. July. Um, I've got another sort of comic thing coming in September, um, which I can reveal later. <laughs> so I can right. Talk about it. Okay. Um, but also I've been working on, I've got a book that I'm kind of working on. Uh, it's a bit of a long project, but it's, it's, I was actually working on it before I started Stranger Things and I had to kind of drop everything for Stranger Things. Right. Um, and then I've got back onto this book. So, um, yeah. Keep on, just keep on writing. It's like this is what I do. I have to just, you just got to keep it all going. Keep going, keep on yeah. trying. And, yeah. and imagine it's, uh, imagine it's really hard uh, to be a writer. Um, I see Chuck Wendig on Twitter. Um, he keeps, he's quite, he's he's good with like um, amateur aspiring writers. I think he's quite. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspirational when his tweets, shall I say. <laughs> uh, but you yeah. work with Chuck Wendig, haven't you? Uh, yes. Um, we co-wrote uh, a series for Black, uh, Dark Circle Comics, which is actually the kind of superhero imprint of Archie Comics. Right. Um, we wrote four issues of The Shield, ah. um, 
which is a kind of one of their superhero characters uh, a few years ago. And that was actually really good because the Shield, and in fact all the Archie superheroes uh, from the Golden Age, you know, they were one of the big comic companies alongside uh, the two publishers that eventually turned into Marvel and DC. Um, so they've got this massive kind of superhero universe which mm-hmm. comes and goes, and and they asked us to reinvent the Shield, which is one of their old superheroes. Yeah. So that was really cool. Um, that is cool. Four issues of that, and we, again, we got to create a whole new character and a whole new kind of mythos, um, which is which is great. Um, you know, Chuck and I have known each other for years. We have the same agent, and All right. in fact, he introduced me to his agent, who is now my agent as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we both had stories and, the, you know, he's obviously written quite a lot of Star Wars, but he had another story and from a certain point of view as well. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we kind of do events together whenever I'm in the States, if we can. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. He's really he's supportive of new writers and aspiring writers, but he's also supportive of of the writers that are slog, slog, <laughs> Well, yeah, those of us who are just slogging it out trying to get some work done um which is good because you know social media and twitter is a very good community for all kinds of things including those those two kind of branches where you've got your professional writers established writers and also people who are up and coming um who are, you know want to write and are just starting out so it's a good it's a good place for that kind of thing and he's a good cheerleader for kind of both sides which is great brilliant so book's already out um thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me i really well, enjoyed that <laughs> thank you very much for having me on it's been a pleasure so there you go i hope you found that interesting i know i sure i did and he's a really nice fella as well isn't he i really like him really nice which is great before i go just a reminder that the geeky retro nerds show is available on itunes stitcher spotify most um podcast catcher apps on apple and on android but it's also available on a free app called podcoin podcoin is available to download for free on apple and android and it rewards you for listening to podcasts so if you enjoy listening to this show if you enjoy listening to other shows the more you listen the more you get rewarded and the way it works is you earn credit um like i say the more you listen the more credit you earn and you can convert that credit into vouchers for like amazon or starbucks or interestingly you can also convert it uh, and donate it to charity and there's absolute tons of money being raised for charity already through podcoin so if that's if that's your that floats your boat you can do that as well so that's the end of this episode. That was actually my first interview on the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. Um, I think it went okay. I was a little bit nervous, but like I say, Adam's a nice guy and he made it really easy to talk to him. So thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next show.